Okay, so we're at second sermon in Isaiah. Fasten your seatbelts. This should be this should be a wild one. All right, if the first one, I mean, last week, sometimes uh, I come across texts, and it's not that way for all te- texts, and it's not that way for all preachers and sermons, but sometimes, sometimes you get intimidated by a text. Sometimes it's just like, I, I don't even, I, I don't know how to preach it. I don't know if I want to preach it. I don't, I'm completely inadequate, and that's a good thing for a preacher. Absolutely a good thing. Last Sunday was one of those texts. So I'm glad to be over that text, but I do want you to know that that text is the epicenter of Isaiah. So we had to go to that text first because that's Mount Everest, and Isaiah is centered on Isaiah 6. So I saw God. That is Isaiah. So today, um, I'm figuring out how we're going to lay out these Isaiah passages. Well, you've got, you've got 39 chapters of law, 27 chapters of gospel. Um, that's how usually everybody breaks up the book. People go, it's the, it's, the, it's the Bible in microcosm. What do you mean? 39 chapters of law, the Old Testament, 27 chapters of gospel, the New Testament. I think it's pixie dust, but a lot of people make a big deal out of that. Uh, So we're going to take a couple of sermons from each of those sections. So we're in what would be called the law section, uh, and then you move into the comfort or the gospel section. It does not mean that the gospel is not in the law section, and the law is not in the gospel section. What Isaiah and scholars say, it's like you have two words of God, and one's leading the other, but the other's behind it. So in the first 40 chapters, the law is leading and the gospel's behind it. The next 27 chapters, the gospel's leading and the law's behind it. You with me? Just trying to help us. I will put out another paper on how to read Isaiah. I think I'm going to call it, like I did one on Proverbs, right? Was that helpful? Yes? Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to put one out on Isaiah, something like this. How to read Isaiah like a champ, not a chump. So that's coming. It's coming for you. All right, so who doesn't know that the Asbury revival is a big deal? Who doesn't know that? Like, Brett, were you gone this week, bro? You were? Okay. Brent doesn't know that the Asbury revival is a big deal. So, Brent, listen up. Participants, attendees are saying stuff like this. It was for the first time where I could relax and I felt at peace. It kind of felt like God was telling me, this is what you've been missing. This is Gracie Turner. She's a senior at Asbury. In an age, quote, of sensationalized encounters, what's happening at the Hughes Auditorium is incredibly simple, humble, and ordinary. Nick Hall, traveling evangelist. And if you haven't figured it out yet, everyone's traveling evangelist now in that area. Alexandra Presta, she's the editor of the Asbury Collegian, the school's newspaper. She's documenting the whole phenomenon. She's chronicling it. She is the chronicler. She says, we've been here at Hughes Auditorium for over 100 hours, praying, crying, worshiping, and uniting because of love, end quote. Tom McCall, he's a theological expert. He goes to Asbury Seminary, which is across the street from the campus. Got it? He says, anyone who has spent times in Hughes Auditorium over the past few days can testify that the Holy Spirit is present and powerful. I cannot analyze or even adequately describe all that is happening, but there's no doubt in my mind that God is present and active here. 
The universal consensus from all participants, that goes from leaders, attendees, news sources, social media, uh, everyone. Here are some of the things that everyone's agreeing upon. Here's the universal consensus. Marathon prayer, around-the-clock prayer and worship, and that worship here means singing. Uh, experiencing the presence of God, gut-wrenching confession of sin, singing, weeping, and praying, uh, and outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so are you informed, brother? Yeah, just for you, dude. I have your back. Now, everyone's weighing in right now, right, on it. The casual observer's weighing in. The critic, obviously, is weighing in. The skeptic, the curious, uh, even uh, the experts and church leaders and even a, a pastoral hack like me in the sermon's doing it, right? I'm weighing in. And of course, there's spiritual FOMO everywhere, right? I mean, everyone wants to be there. And now these prayer services are starting all over the country. You can feel, you can feel the fear of missing out. You can feel this, I want to experience God like that. I want an outpouring of God's spirit on me like that. I want to be free from the chains that hold me back because people are expressing that kind of desire. I want to be used by God. So people are going there because, listen, if you want to be used by God, if you want to be anointed in a special way to be used by God, you better get up there. And then there's Nadia Bowles-Weber. Her, her approach intrigues me. She says this. She goes, I actually wonder if exhaustion from culture wars, purity codes, and the idolatry of ideology on all sides have led these young people to seek revival in the simplicity of constant prayer and singing. There is something in my soul which longs for what I am seeing on these live streams or what I feel I am seeing. So rather than make big stroke proclamations about the Asbury revival, what it is or what it's not, I'm trying to pay attention to what longing inside of me is being drawn up in buckets each time I tune in. So she, she makes me really curious. I, she says, I long to sing with others. I long to be open-hearted. I long to trust something for once. I long to be unselfconscious in my devotion to God. I long to witness something real. And then she concludes this way. While I remain suspicious of most human claims of a human project having God's favor or being led by the Spirit because it feels conveniently like using divine camouflage for human ego trips, I do trust more and more what I feel in my spirit and in my body. It's interesting that she goes in that direction. I do trust what I'm feeling in my soul and in my body. So what are we going to do? Well, we're not here to analyze the Asbury Revival. We're going to ask one question. What is revival? Please stand for the hearing of God's word. So in the days of Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. So here's some quick history. Syria is Israel's northern neighbor. Remember, Israel is the ten tribes. They're in the Samaria region. Judah is the two tribes. They're in the Jerusalem region. Remember, Assyria is on the rise, the boogeyman, right? Whispers are everywhere. They're coming, and hell comes with them, right? So you've got Syria, 
and you've got the northern kingdom forming a bond to confront Assyria. But you've got Judah, Ahaz is the king now, he's placing his bets, Assyria, Samaria, Israel. I go with Assyria. So these two, Assyria, right, and Israel, they come and they raid in verse 1. They attack, they attack Judah. And in other places, the Bible says this, they killed Israel, killed Judah, its brothers and sisters, killed 120,000 from Judah in one day, all men of valor. So imagine losing your 120,000 crack troops, special forces, in one day. <laughs> and then it starts naming some of them that were killed. I guess that those in that day knew of them in the ancient world, and they're going, oh, he died? He got taken? No, not. Not Achilles. And then it says they took captive 200,000 family members of those in Judah, their wives, their mothers, their daughters, their children. That's all in verse 1. All in verse 1. So now we're in verse 2, which is the second invasion, okay? So when the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, Israel, uh, the northern kingdom, the heart of Ahaz, he's a 20-something-year-old king, just to get that in place, a 20-something-year-old king. And you think grad school is hard. And the heart of his people, the heart of Ahaz, and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz, you and your son, Shir Jashub. At, we know Isaiah has two sons. His wife is called a prophetess. That's all we know right now. Uh, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. In other words, go to Home Depot where everybody's getting supplies, and I want you to meet the king because he's there too. They're ready. They're preparing for the storm. Verse 4. And say to him, be careful, be quiet. So the English didn't come up with that first. Do not fear. Do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramalia. He won't even say the king's name because Syria with with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia have devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it. Let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. For the head of Assyria is Damascus. The head of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, they won't even be around and the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask for a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol, as higher heaven. I'm giving you, Ahaz, a blank check. What do you want me to do to prove that I'm with you? Can you imagine? Wouldn't you like that? But as Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. That is so strange. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you now weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So Lord, we confess that even as we sing, we are Nineveh, so we're the Assyrians, and we're the Israelites, 
and we're the Syrians, and we're Israel and the ten tribes, and we're Ahaz and Israel and the two tribes in Judea. So, Lord, have mercy on us. Would you, would you show up by the power of your spirit through the preaching of your word? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's our question again, right? This is the question of the text. What is revival? So here's the first thing we need to know. Whatever it is, everyone needs it. Whatever revival is, everyone needs reviving. Look at verse 2. When the house of David was told Syria is in league, literally that in league means swarming. So Syria is swarming like a like a plague of locusts all over Israel right now. With Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz, the 20-year-old king, the heart of the people. Now remember, uh, this is the church. So this is the people of God. This is the Old Testament church. So this would be us, right? The heart of the leaders, the heart of the people, shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to picture a storm, and I want you to picture a storm, and you look out your window, and you see the biggest tree that you've had in your house. I don't have any of those. I look at Dean Mitchell's place. So you go and you look out and you see a tree and you see it start shaking. It's a single solitary tree in the storm. The storm's coming. It's a good Texas storm. It's coming and it's moving and it's bending, right? Well, that would be like the king, one person in the storm bending. It would be like your mom. Dads don't shake, so it would be the mom shaking, right? It would be like your brother or your sister. You pick out one person, and one person is shaking. Now, you got that picture? Now I want you to pick, picture a mighty, unscalable forest of redwoods. And they're all shaking. There's nothing that's not shaking in this storm. Homes are shaking. Communities are shaking. Institutions are shaking. Relationships are shaking. The culture is shaking. You got that picture? Fear shakes everything. And it shakes it down to the roots of its being. Just a little time out, I was thinking when I was doing this, I thought immediately, you know what I thought about? It was just the strangest thing. I thought, I just had such, I'm not trying to be holy before you all or anything. I just had all of a sudden such compassion on the youth of this generation. All they have known is a shaking culture. And it's worse than the culture in World War II. World War II, you had a world at war, you had a concrete enemy. Does anybody really know what the enemy is? But everyone's afraid. It's a tough thing to grow up in this place right now. So remember that, parents. Remember that with your kids. What does shaking do to you? What does shaking do to relationships? What does shaking fear do to a home? What does it do to a church? What does it do to communities? What does it do to institutions? What does it do to the culture? You remember Proverbs 28.1 when we did Proverbs about the lion, here be lions, remember? You remember what the opposite was happening with the folks that weren't being lions? Do you remember? 
They were fleeing. They were shaking when no one was pursuing them. They were running scared when there was nothing to be scared of. I want you to look at what's happening to Ahaz and Israel. You're going to see two perspectives. You're going to see God saying one thing, but you're going to see them seeing another words. In other words, Ahaz sees a boogeyman that's not there. Israel sees a boogeyman that's not there. Watch what happens in 7.4. God is trying to tell Ahaz, there's no boogeyman, Ahaz. He asks him, be careful, be quiet. Verse 7.4, do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands and the fierce anger of Rezin of Syria and the son of Ramallah. In other words, King Ahaz sees this blazing wildfire called a blow-up that's just marching and mowing and consuming everything. But God sees two lumps of coal from a fire that's already spent. Ahaz, there's no boogeyman. Let's keep going. Ahaz in verse uh, 8 He says, for the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin, and the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramallah. King Ahaz sees two super militaries and world powers. God sees two weak men. What does fear do to you? It shakes you. You see boogeymen that aren't there. What else does it do? Look at verse 7. I mean, look at 9. God says, listen, if you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Shaking makes you an unstable person. Mentally, emotionally, spiritually, it makes homes unstable, communities unstable, churches unstable, institutions unstable, the culture is unstable. What is revival? Whatever it is, everyone needs it. Everyone needs it. To stop the shaking. What is revival? Let's look at verse 3. And the Lord, got it? Verse 3, and the Lord. Okay, so whatever comes next is the answer to revival. Everybody with me? What is revival? God is about ready to respond to the shaking of a king and a whole nation. God is about ready to say, here's how you're revived. I've come to revive you. So we're about ready to get the answer, and it goes like this. We could say it this way. What's the most certain sign of revival? We're about ready to find out. What's the most number one sign that you're experiencing God? We're about ready to find out. What's the number one sign that God has outpoured his spirit? We're about ready to find out. This is phenomenal. What is revival? We are about ready to find out. So let's read it. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz. Do you see this? This is unbelievable. And the Lord said to Isaiah, who is Isaiah? He's the prophet. Who is Isaiah? He's God's mouthpiece. Who is Isaiah? He's God's words. Who is Isaiah? He's the personal, active presence of God in words. In other words, the word of God goes out to meet Ahaz. Do you know that of these 
There were 17. I trimmed it down to 14. But the section goes to 17. Do you know that all these 17 verses, that 15 of the 17 verses is clearly God speaking? There's only two verses when he's not, and that's only in the first two to give you a little historical background over what's coming down and all these shaking people that need reviving. What is revival? According to Isaiah, revival is the dominating presence of the word of God. And the word goes out to meet Ahaz. Here's some practical help. I just, I thought, you know what? It's time. I need to give you some practical help. I need some practical help. We need some practical help. So if the number one sign of revival is the dominating presence of the word of God, in other words, God's word goes out to meet you. If God's word goes out to meet you, that God's answer to you being revived is I send my word out to meet you. That my word goes out to meet you and my word goes out to meet you, I go out to meet you. In my word is my personal active presence. So when the word, that's why Luther, he's like, oh, he, all he cared about was translating the word and getting the word out. He knew that wherever God's word was, there was hope. Because God showed up in his word. Where was God, he'd say. People would ask him, Luther, where's God? And he goes, where's the word? It's over there. Okay, that's where he is. How do you know God's at work? Well, where's the word dominating? That's where he is. Well, where's the Holy Spirit outpouring and specially anointing and doing its thing? Well, where's the scripture opened up? So here's practical help number one. Remember, remember that sermon? I, I still think, I still hear like some of the kids saying it. Even Ty's football team, they say it. I guess they watched it. Selah. Remember? Brooks is always saying Selah. What does it mean? Shut up and listen. Practical help number one in a revival, if you want to be revived, shut up and listen. Talk less. Listen more. Did you know that listening is doing what is, it's elevating what is most primary. God's word is primary speech. God says, let there be, and then things happen. That means that everything else is a secondary speech. So prayer is secondary speech. When you get spoken to primary speech by God, now you have something to say, so you pray back. The reason why we have such poor prayer lives is because we don't listen. We don't say la. We're always talking, and we get worn out by our talking and our prayers. Good night. I mean, even Jesus says, please. Do you know when Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer, do you see how small it is? He even says, stop with all the words already. Don't do that. That's in the Sermon on the Mount. We just read that this week. Shut up and listen. God's word's primary speech. When God speaks... Oh, now you have something to say. That's prayer. Prayer is answering speech. So a revival is dominated by primary speech because now you have something to say. Now you have something to respond to. I'm going way off target, but I'm going to do this. In the first awakening, what was different from the second awakening was this. These were revivals, right? In the first awakening, the scriptures were opened, the gospel was given, and people were responding to it. In the second great awakening, everybody was emphasizing, I'm saying that God didn't do a work, everybody was emphasizing your response to God. 
So you had all these people responding to someone or something that's not there. In the first awakening, the object was put forward. People were responding to the object. The second great awakening, the emphasis was respond, respond, respond. There's lessons there. Uh, shut up and listen is practically humbling yourself before God, too. So if you want to be humble, shut up and listen. Shut up and listen is also practically experiencing God. Why? Because grace only runs downhill. So if you're shut up and listening, grace runs downhill to you. Okay? God's word goes out to meet you. Second thing, practical help. God's word is your best friend. Your best friend, hands down your best friend. Never forget being a young pastor, sitting in a seminary class, and Dr. Hannah, this church historian, he studied everything and everybody, every movement, phenomenal expert in church history, and he said, gentlemen, there will be times, and ladies, there will be times in your life uh, when no one will understand you. And if you're married, not even your wife. There will be times and seasons in your life where you will be absolutely lonely. You will be absolutely unloved. You will absolutely feel rejected. You will absolutely be a nothing. You will have no friends. No one will like you. And we're like, oh my word, this is ministry? And he goes, you know what you do? You go to the only friend you have. He meant go grab dead people off your library and read about them and let them speak to you. We could change it just a bit and say, go grab the Bible. God's word is your only ultimate friend. Go out, God's word goes out to meet you. Last one, God's word is the most certain sign of revival. The Bible even says his word revives your soul. I mean, it pretty explicit, right? So the Bible also says, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. So God's word's preeminent. God's word goes out to meet you, right? God's word goes out to meet you. Now, does that mean that 24-hour praying and singing, that stuff is great, fantastic. <clears throat> but if Jonathan Edwards would hear here in Religious Affections, he's the one that was one of the instruments of the Great Awakening. He wrote a book called Religious Affections, trying to evaluate what just happened. He would say it's not a certain sign of anything. It's not a certain sign that God's here, and it's not a certain sign that God's not here. It's just not a certain sign. A certain sign is God's word goes out to meet you. So don't make it a certain sign. That was his point. I think we can learn from that. What is revival? Let's look at verse 2. Right now we know what? It's the dominating presence of God's word. God's word goes out to meet you. I need God. God's word goes out to meet you. I can't find God. God's word goes out to meet you. I want to experience God. God's word goes out to meet you. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God's word goes out to meet you. See how this works? What is revival? Verse 2. When the house of David was told, Ceres and leagues swarming everywhere with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz, the heart of the people, shook his trees of the forest, shaped before the wind. Later in Isaiah, later in Isaiah, chapter 28, this is what God says. It's unbelievable. He says, if you trust my words, here's what he says. Later in Isaiah, have that shaking in mind. 
He says, if you trust my words, you will not shake with fear. That is a mic drop. Mentally, emotionally, the culture, the church, even the church is shaking. We're shaking the storm. And he goes, if you trust my words, you will not shake. You will not tremble. Do you want to not shake? Youth. Freaking out in a culture that's freaking out. I'm sorry, young people, that your parents are freaking out. I'm sorry that your church is freaking out. I'm sorry that your schools are freaking out. I'm sorry that the country's freaking out. I'm sorry that the country's freaking out. Maybe the youth will be the first ones to not shake. And you know what? If you trust his words, you won't. We could rewrite verse 9 this way. Can we put verse 9 up there? See that? If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Do you see that? Okay. We could write it this way. If you are firm in faith, you will be firm in everything. You won't shake. Mentally, emotionally, relationally, in the home, at school, on the ball field, at work, standing in a room full of people, Do you see it? Do you see the second mark of revival? It's being firm in faith. In other words, firm in faith is how life works. Do you want to work right? Be firm in faith. Do you want your relationships to work right? Be firm in faith. Do you want your home to work right? Be firm in faith. Do you want communities? Do you want the culture? Do you want your school? Do you want institutions? Do you want your athletic ability to work right? Be firm in faith. And it's just a side note, but I I was thinking, because Ty and I have been thinking about this a lot lately. So, you know, just take sports or take a tree. If we just let a tree be a tree, a tree will do a good job at being a tree, right? It's when we... Don't let a tree be a tree is when things go a little crazy. Athletes, musicians, people that perform. When you just let your body do what it's supposed to do, it's amazing that it does it. But when you try to make it happen, it doesn't. It's a principle everywhere. You can trust your body or you can try to make your body do it doesn't mean you don't work hard. doesn't mean you don't train. It doesn't mean, please. But firm in faith is how life works because God made everything to trust him. Everything. So if we are trusting him, we are absolutely shaking to the core. So, Firm in faith is how life works. So what is a revival? Revival is becoming. It's being revived. So that means you're becoming firm in faith. So it's the dominating presence of faith. Two marks so far. What is a revival? The dominating presence of God's word. The dominating presence of faith. Living by faith. Those are the two major marks of a revival. 
Some practical help? Can I give you some more practical help? Okay, thanks. Trusting God is how you work. I already said that. Good. So when you say, what's wrong with me? Here's what you need to know. What's wrong with me? 99 or 9.9 times out of 10, it's you're not trusting God. The point nine, the point one that gets you to the 10, the point one is you got a lousy night's sleep. Okay? The point one is you have a bad diet. The point one is you're not getting enough exercise. The point one, okay? All right. What's wrong with my relationships? 9.9 times out of 10 is I'm not trusting God. That's what it is. The 0.1% is they're just a jerk. What's wrong with how I handle school, how I handle work, how I handle money, how I handle sex, how I handle athletics, how I handle failure, how I handle success, how I handle hardship? What's wrong with how I handle heartache? 9.9 times out of 10, it's I'm not trusting God. The 0.1%, the 0.1.1 part of the time is just bad luck. Number two, practical help. There is no secret sauce. There's faith. Faith gets this. So being firm in faith gets, I feel something's missing. Of course you have something missing. When you feel like something's missing in my life, you feel like even when at those best moments when you feel whole, it doesn't last long. It's like there's this hole in you and it just leaks out eventually. And that's because there is a hole in you. There is no secret sauce. You are always going to be missing something and faith knows what you're missing. Faith looks at this life and it looks at what scripture is saying and it looks that, it looks that yeah, what you're missing is glory. You're not home yet. So you're always going to be missing something here because you're not home. You're always going to be missing something here because this isn't ultra, supra, glorified life, which is what you were made for. So you're always going to have a hole in your soul. You're always going to be lonely. You're always going to be sad. You're going to have those things in this world. Being firm in faith gets that, and so it's still able to not shake. Remember that Nadia Bowles-Weber, remember, there's something in my soul which longs for that I'm seeing on these live streams or what I feel I'm seeing. I long to sing. I long to be open, yada, yada, yada. Firm in faith feels that longing, feels it, and is still okay because firm in faith knows I'm not home yet. All right, lastly, what is revival? God's word goes out to meet you. It's a dominating presence of God's word. Second, it's the dominating presence of faith, being firm in faith. Revived is faith becoming firm in you. But Ahaz does not trust God. Do you see that? It's just heartbreaking. The chief historian of Israel's kings, we could call him the chronicler, he says, in the time of his distress, he became yet more faithless to the Lord, this same king Ahaz. And some of you are thinking, man, that's me. I am King Ahaz. I'm not firm in faith. I fail at faith. 
I can't muster up faith. I can't even muster up a mustard seed of faith. You know what I'm really good at? I'm really good at trusting myself and arraying my life with all these many trusts in life. I trust this and I trust this and I trust. That's what I'm good at, Jeff. Replacement substitute trusts. I completely identify with Ahab, you think. What happens next is absolutely amazing, so I, I am speaking to you that feel this way. What happens next is your revival. What happens next makes you firm in faith. What happens next is the cause that produces the effect of faith. And if you get that, Christian, if you get that there is a cause that produces your faith, because faith is an effect, it's not a cause. So what's the cause that gives me faith? We are about ready to look at it. Here it is. What happens? What ends shaking? You know what the answer is? The answer from God is the sign. The sign of revival. The sign that God is here. The sign that God has shown up. The sign that God is with you. The sign that God is for you. The sign that God loves you. The sign that he outpours his spirit on you. The sign that he wants to use you. The sign, the sign, the sign. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. Ahaz, you have a blank check. What do you need to help you trust me? I'll do it. What is it, Ahaz? I mean, do you need to be healed of your ulcers? You got one foot longer than the other? Your mom or your wife's crabby? You know, I never say dad in those instances, do I? I what is that? Pride? Yeah. Oh, am I turning red? That is so well played. <laughs> so well done, honey. All right. He said, ask it, ask it, right? But Ahaz, this is what Ahaz says. You know what Ahaz is? He's a revivalist. He's not looking for a revival. He's a revivalist. A revivalist thinks they can activate God. Someone who knows that a revival is someone knows that God's word comes out to meet you. A revivalist thinks they can activate him. How do I know this? Because he says, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. In other words, Ahaz is actually acting holier than God. Do you see this? That's what happens in revivalism. Everyone's acting holier than God. Everyone's over-spiritualizing. Everyone's over-avoiding sin. Everyone's overly righteous. Because that's how you activate God, right? You don't put God to the test when you trust his word. You put God to the test when you don't trust his word. When you try to activate him, you try to control him. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. This is unbelievable. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You shall call his name Emmanuel. I cannot tell you how many Old Testament scholars freak out over that, that 
that line. How would Ahab and an Israelite and an ancient person hear this text? Here's how I think they would hear it. Uh, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Are we there? Good. Young girls conceiving, not ideal, but it happens. Uh, Barren women conceiving, you bet, incredible. Hannah, right? Okay, a virgin conceiving, what are you talking about? Nobody understands that. That's never happened. It's not even, it's in no literature in the ancient world. None, except here. Emmanuel, God with us, here's how I think they would hear it. You bet, it's the whole Old Testament. God's been with us forever. That's how we got here. That's how we got in the land, you bet. And then they would say, the coming of a super David to be with us, called the Messiah, you bet. There is a super David coming. We all trust in him. That's why this text keeps saying the Davidic king, right? The super David, the the kingdom, the king will come from this line, Judah. The super David, you bet. A virgin conceiving a son, and that son is God with us? What are you talking about? And then all of a sudden, Matthew takes that verse and says, this is Jesus. Do you get it, y'all? This is unbelievable. Do you see it? When there's no faith in the land, when there's no faith in you, when you're not reviving and you can't revive, when you're not firm in your faith but you're shaking, when you're shaking emotionally, mentally, spiritually, relationally, in your home, in your relationships, in your marriage, with your friendships, at school, on the ball field, when you're shaking, when there is only shaking in the land, God sends the sign. The word made flesh goes out to meet you. Jesus goes out to meet you when you have no faith at all. And when you're shaking like a leaf, and all of a sudden, you start being revived. Christianity is so simple. Revival is so simple. Let the revival begin.